0: This is from Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him.
1: Well, could you let me add my welcome? My name's uh, Matt Fuller. I'm one of the staff or ministers here. And uh, I just want to take a few minutes, really, to think about Christmas. It's very lovely to welcome you. Uh, you're a, a very well-cultured audience, clearly, this evening, not applauding the choral pieces. I'm always very tempted to do it. I have to sit on my hands, get prodded from behind, because uh, I do a very good job uh, serving us. But just my job is just for a few minutes to stand up and um, talk about Christmas, because... Actually, in the UK, in London, we're getting a little bit hazier, uh, really, about what Christmas means. So, uh, one of those classic uh, surveys done recently in a national paper, it had uh, uh, the results of a survey amongst primary school children. There's some uh, mistakes in there. There's some lovely ones, to my mind. Charlie, aged five. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is a long, long way away, in Liverpool. The wise men brought gold, frankincense, and mirth. Now that was silly. Jesus would have preferred Lego or a Nerf gun, <laughs> said Jay, boy, aged four. Alice, aged six. Jesus was born in a stable with sheep, horses, and a crocodile. <laughs> Fortunately not. Um, who else do we have? Adam, aged five. The angel Gabriel... Well, he's a big, fat fairy who helps Mary and Joseph look after the baby a bit like a doctor. (laughs) Uh, My favorite was Zoe. Jesus was a king, and he wore a very small crown, probably knitted by his nana. (laughs) Sweet, very sweet. Now, uh, we may not make those mistakes, but as adults, it's easy to make mistakes, even with a very familiar story like The Three Kings, which was the last reading we had. We haven't sung it tonight, but often you will at a carol service. We three kings of Orient are. Remember that one? Remember from your school days. Certainly, when I was a schoolboy, it was a favourite. Used to giggle at the back. We three kings of Leicester Square, selling pants a penny a pair. So fantastic, no elastic, not very safe to wear, and we thought it was hilarious. Is one of our favourite ones. But actually, I don't know if you noticed when we had that reading just read. We're not told there are kings. They're magi, magicians, astrologers. We're not told there were three of them. There are three gifts, but who knows how many there were, we're not told that. We're not told they went to a stable, because they didn't. This is months later. Mary and Joseph had found a house to live in now. It's all those sadly, all those Christmas cards that have the shepherds and the kings and everyone all in one nice photo montage. Uh they're photoshopped that one. It didn't really happen. They weren't all there at the same time. But it's easy to make mistakes or get a little bit confused about these things. Now, these men are not kings, we're not told that, but magi. That is, in the thinking of the time, astrologers or astronomers, the two were one. Can you believe such a thing? But in those days, the two would have been one. Or magicians viewed with some suspicion at the time. And these have come, and they've trekked a long way, and we're told why they've come, right at the beginning of the reading, that last reading we had. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of Herod, Magi from the East came to Jerusalem. Okay, they asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the East, and we've come to worship him. That's why they've come, trekked miles and miles across the desert to worship him because they recognize and acknowledge this is not just a baby, not just even a king, a monarch, a baby born. This is God. As predicted, God himself come down as a little baby. And if you remember the... Um, uh, it was about two years ago, uh, nativity, a school nativity in Barnsley, and it all was going very well, and uh, the teachers were happy, uh, got through the first half, no major calamities, everyone remembered their lines, well done the children. It came to the Magi, and they were on one side of the stage, and they just took cross to the other, to where the, the montage was, the baby, the shepherds, the mum, etc., etc. So uh, the first Magi got a nod from the teacher, and so marched across the stage. I have gold for the king. He did his job very well. To the second. I have incense for the king. Great. To the third. And the third little boy, he looked up and he saw his mum and dad. Little wave. And then he just got a bit distracted. Golly, mum and dad are here and a lot of people are here. And golly. And he just froze on the spot. Until the teacher had whispering from the cross the stage so he crossed the stage but he was still a little bit shaken so he got there and he's there and he's looking down at the baby and he's just completely forgotten his line it wasn't a big line Mur, I have Mur for a king. he just couldn't remember his line at all so the teacher whispered say something and so he just panicked and what well, he said what he'd seen adults say countless times he looked down at the baby and said ah, uh, doesn't he look like his dad <laughs> Now, he's probably not going to be a great actor when he grows up. But it's not bad theology. Because he is just like his dad. This baby, Jesus Christ, is God, as God the Father is. He's God come down to walk on this planet that first Christmas time. Now, if you were there, what would you have done? Well, in fact, what do you do with Jesus Christ? You get two responses in this passage, very different ones. You get Herod, who wants to murder him. You get the Magi, they want to worship him. But what would you do? What do you do with Jesus Christ? See, most people are very happy to have him as the baby in the manger. That's okay. It's quite sweet, it's part of Christmas. A bit like Santa. But you get a carol service out of it. That's quite nice. A bit mulled wine, super. Uh, nice hymns. Good job we didn't have the sort of mulled wine before Silent Night. That's a fatal combination in my opinion. The two of them together is a little bit lovely and off we go. But you know, Jesus in the crib, that's okay. But people aren't so certain about what to make of the man when he grows up. And I do hope you realize he's a thoroughly authenticated figure of history. There's much evidence for Jesus Christ walking around Palestine in the first century as the fact that the emperor at the time, the Roman emperor, was a man named Tiberius. More evidence, if you include the New Testament, believing believing a part of the Christian sources, there's no reason at all to doubt the existence of this man, Jesus Christ. Every so often you get some charlatan who writes a book or article saying that Jesus didn't exist or was a woman or was a goat or a donkey or something to try and make a bit of money and cause a bit of, you know, a bit of a shock. But no no credible historian would ever say that. For a professional historian to say Jesus didn't exist, you'd get treated with the same sort of response as if you were a professional academic scientist and said, the world is flat. You must be joking. You'd be laughed out of your post. You'd be a fruit loop in your community, in your profession, in your community. No one denies credibly that this man walked around in the first century. So what do you make of him? And what do you make of his claims? Because here then you have two very, very polarized responses. I just want to look at them briefly in turn. Herod, well Herod wanted to murder him. The Magi—they wanted to worship him. <laughs> Very different indeed. Let me just look at first of all then at Herod. Herod. Then we know quite a bit about him from uh, outside the New Testament, from the secular sources. He's on a slightly dodgy ground as king of the Jews because he's not technically Jewish. His mum wasn't was Arabian. His dad an Edomite, slightly different tribe. But the Romans, the uh, the conquerors of the region, they imposed him as king, so he's a little bit insecure about his throne not the most confident and across his path challenge him and he get very upset with that so along come these three magi and they come to Herod they come to Jerusalem they come to the palace and they say to him verse 2 of this little reading where is the king? where is the one who's just been born? king of the Jews now I take it wildly insecure Herod had a little bit of a flip out maybe internally maybe it came out I don't know who you are, but I am the king around here. Not just been born, about 40 years old. Me. You want me. Want to worship someone? Here I am. Go for your life. He's not happy with the scenario. And so uh, he um, he creates this little plot. We'll get it slightly later on in the reading. Uh, verse 8, he sends them to Bethlehem and says, You go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Well, that's a load of cod's We know from later on he wants to kill him. That's what Herod wants. He wants to kill him. Because as far as Herod is concerned, he's the king. I'm in charge. No one takes my crown. Now, I presume there's no one here quite as nuts as Herod, quite as insecure, quite as willing to kill. If you are, please leave. And yet, when Jesus does grow up and starts teaching as a man, he'd insist that that same attitude lies within our hearts, even if we manifest it very differently. I'm in charge. I don't want anyone taking the crown away from me. Of course, it manifests in little petty ways. I'm a very, very bad backseat driver. Or if I'm driving, I like to be in charge of the map. I'm in charge. Don't take the map away from me. I like to know where I'm going. I like to be the one who decides where we're going, in little ways. But also when it comes to more profound things, when it comes to God. Most of us like to think, I'm in charge. If there's a God, I don't want him to be in charge. I don't mind if he's there, as long as he serves me as long as he kind of gives me what I want and just stays out of my way. But I don't want to say, no, I'm not in charge of my life. I'm going to follow you. Give you the crown over my life. See, naturally, where well, I'm willing to do that. And that's a mistake. wants says, how do you describe that? That sort of attitude, I'm in charge. Don't take my crown away from me. It is, I don't know, you'd call it a little... Sp- Spoiled, perhaps? You can imagine a scene at Christmas, an unfortunate household, mum and dad. Mum and dad are very conscientious, loving, careful, thoughtful, uh, expansive in the presents they buy for their child. Lots of presents, lots of thought has gone into them, and the child spends hours unwrapping this thing and this thing and this thing, and this wonderful mountain of presents appears. And he's very excited by them. And he gets to the last one, opens it, and then says, brilliant. Love these presents. Now, mum and dad, you can just naff off. Get out and leave me in the house with my presents and the food you prepared and you can naff off. That would be a slight disappointment or to your family Christmas if it went that way. What would you say the child is spoiled? Might put it slightly stronger if you were mum and dad having put all the thought and effort in. It's a sort of spoiled attitude. It's also a... Foolish attitude to push out and say, I'm in charge, God is not. The last time we went on an airplane, our family, uh, just before we, uh, we took off, uh, there was a little bit of delay, and so a nice stewardess said to me and my eight year old son, Do you want to go into the cockpit? Uh, say hello to the captain, and um, have a photo taken. So we did. Went into the cockpit, went have to sit in the chair, uh, headphones on, can we play with any switches? That one does nothing. You can touch that one. <laughs> the others, but that one. So we did play with this one for about 27 times. Oh, that's nice. Uh, back and forth, took a photo. It was very fun, and my son thought it was great. He's flown a plane, indeed. Um, now, what would have been very foolish is if at that point I said, do you know what? I'm in charge. I'm in charge, and I shall fly the plane. That's reckless. That's dangerous for me, my son, and the several hundred others on the plane. Unfortunately, no one let me do it. Now, for you and for me to say to God, I don't like the idea of you being in charge. My life, my crown, you can leave me alone. Let me suggest that is very spoilt of us. God has given us everything. He's given us life in his world, a planet that works so very well. He's given us the blessings and trappings of financially and relationally. Wonderful. I mean, life has its downtimes, of course. But it's good. And for us to say, right, I've got all this stuff, and now me, 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 and you can naff off God. You might be there, but just stick in your own cloud up there in the sky and leave me alone now that's spoiled I know you might put it strong, wicked, I don't know and it is reckless it's reckless because we don't know best how to run our own lives and it's reckless because well, at some point there's a reckoning you can't just reject your creator and think that he'll ignore it, at some point there's a reckoning and the consequence, well, they're eternal. Eternally shut out of his heaven. Eternal death. It's a very foolish thing to live that way. So, do you see what Herod did? He's the extreme example, of course. But Herod, he did have a chance. Where is it? Verses uh, 4 to 6, when the uh, the uh, the Magi first come along. Uh, Herod's very upset, for a little verse 3, when they come along. Uh, and then what does he do, verse 4 to 6? Well, he gathers a little bit of evidence. He does a bit of homework. He called together, all well, the people's chief priests, teachers of the law. He asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, this is what the prophet has written. And we're told this quote of Micah's hundreds of years before. So Herod, has he had a chance here? You want to worship this king? I'm the king. Hold on a minute. Just tell me a little bit about him, just a little bit. He's predicted hundreds of years ago he'd be born in Bethlehem. Ah, stuff it. I'm in charge. You can go and find him. Herod can't even bother to go and have a look. This is going to be the most significant decision he makes in the whole of his life, and it's what two hours by camel from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. I've never done it by camel, only on a coach, but I'm taking it's probably about that. Two hours? He can't be bothered to give two hours of his life up just to go and see, is this true? Do I need to change my mind here? Now, let me suggest that is quite contemporary. Now, I'm a Christian minister. I'm interested in such things, you might say, but it's, to my mind, stunning how often you meet people who won't give two hours, a few hours to... Hold on a minute. What do I make of Jesus Christ? I've always kind of ignored him. He's nice as a baby. I know he grew up to be a man, but... What do I make of him? I find it staggering. People will spend more time planning a holiday, planning a pension. I know most haven't got around to doing that. But, uh, you know, planning all sorts of less significant things, but not planning for meeting God? Not planning for where you'll spend eternity? Not to give a few hours even to that? Surely that's reckless to live in such a way. Why would people not do that? So here's my little question for you. Is it that you've looked at the evidence for Jesus Christ? You've looked at what he taught, what he did, and are not persuaded? Or have you just never got round to it? And be honest with yourself, if you've never got around to it, why is that? It's so significant. Eternity hangs on it. Why have you not just given it a bit of time? Is it because you just fear a little bit that he might say to you, you should worship me. You need to take the crown off your own head. Anyway, that's Herod. Herod, uh, he wants to murder him. He's an extremist. But let's briefly look at the Magi. The Magi, they want to worship him. Now, judging from the gifts they bring, this gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They've come from something like modern-day Iran, Iraq. Uh, they've traveled a long way. The scholars are fairly confident that they're men. We're not told that in the passage. But they're fairly confident they're men uh, on the basis that if they were women, uh, they'd have asked for directions earlier, not been so stubborn. Probably have turned up on time. Probably bought some useful gifts. Disposable nappies. Maybe a lasagna to help with the couple in those first few days when life is bedlam. So they're fairly confident uh, that these are three men. Forgive me, it's ter- terrible. Um, <laughs> but as I said earlier, we have this lovely sort of romanticized view, or you maybe the Christmas card view of these three sort of posh-looking blokes on their camels. Uh, the Sunday school view, you know, the kings have got their um, foil crowns on their heads. But for the audience then, for, the, for Herod, for the Israelites in the first century... These three magi, they're foreigners. And they're sort of magicians. They're pagans. It's a bit like someone coming and knocking on your door and saying, Hello, uh, I've just moved in from uh, the other side of the world, from Iran, and I'm a witch doctor. I quite like, you know, do you want to come round and sacrifice a chicken with me? We do that most um, Sunday nights. Would you like to come and do that? You'd think, No. I don't think we're going to have much in common as a neighbour. Now, this is a bit more extreme than that. For Israelites, these were pagans, witch doctors, unpleasant outsiders. And that's why Matthew includes them. Because Jesus isn't just a king for the Jews, or for the West, or for Africa, or for Asia. He's the universal king for all people. doesn't matter what your background is. He's the king for every ethnic background. Religious background, sexual background, class background. He's the universal king. Even the unpleasant witch doctors, the magicians with their funny astrology and such like, even them in the first century, they could come. And they're welcomed around the throne that was a manger of Jesus Christ. He's a king for all people. Now, the Magi came, as I said. Why did they come? They knew not just that a king had been born, but who this king was. And they had a little theology lesson further in the, uh, in the court of King Herod. They knew that this little baby would grow up to be a man. A man who'd die on a cross. The third of those gifts, myrrh, that they bring. It's a slightly odd thing to bring to a baby. Don't take it to hospital with you if you go and visit a newborn, because uh, culturally at the time, myrrh was used to embalm the bodies of the dead. So Mary and Joseph, gold, nice. Incense, worth a lot of money as well. Myrrh, ooh. That's a bit odd. Imagine I'm wrapping something like that at this Christmas. You know, it's, it's, um, when you're young, you get the biggest present around the tree, don't you? Children, young children, toddlers, uh, preschool, you know, preschoolers, they get the massive bits of plastic toots that are about this size. They get the big, large presents. Even eight, nine, ten year olds get quite big Lego boxes. The older you get, generally it shrinks, doesn't it? Let's be honest. It shrinks down to socks and ties and jewellery if you're lucky. But things get smaller and smaller. But imagine this Christmas, you get the big one. Under the tree, who's the big one for? It's for you. Golly, but it's six foot. By two foot. You're very exciting and rapid. It's a coffin. That's a mood changer, isn't it, at Christmas? What are you saying, father-in-law? Nothing. <laughs> That's what they bring, these wise men. Myrrh? You don't bring that to a birth. You bring that to a death. Why are they bringing that? They're acknowledging this is the one who is born to die. That's why he's come. The Major knew that this... Baby would grow up to be a man who'd die, so that they, you, me, could be forgiven by God for our rejection of Him. Now I find people get confused in that point. If God wants to forgive us, why can't He just say, "I forgive you"? What's the big deal? Why does it need to? Why do you need to come and die for me? Forgiveness always has a cost. It always has a cost. A little while ago, uh, uh, I was driving, just uh, driving up to satellites and someone smashed into the back. A young lad, nice girlfriend, probably too young to be driving his big flash uh, Mercedes, but uh, at least he smashed into the back of our car and recognised straight away it was his fault, jumped down and said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, that was entirely my fault, which is nice in London, doesn't always happen that way, and his insurance company won't thrill that he said such a thing. But anyway, he said it's entirely my fault. Now, at that point, I have a choice. Look at the back of my car and think, well, I don't know, one, two thousand pounds, at least worth of damage done there. I could say to him, that's okay. But you need to pay. You've got to pay two thousand pounds. If you want to be forgiven by me, there is a cost to that. Or I could be incredibly generous and say, you're sorry, I'll pay. I'll pay. Don't worry about it. I'm a wealthy man. I'm not. I'm a wealthy man, and I'll pay for you. See, there's always a cost to forgiveness. He says, I'm sorry. I say, that's okay. But there's still a bust car. Who's going to pay for that? There's a cost to forgiveness. And when we smash up our relationship with God, there's a cost And you and I have a choice in that. Either we pay, we pay with what Jesus would call eternity, eternal death, or we let him pay. We let him pay upon the cross. That's a choice we have, but there's always a cost if we want to be forgiven. Now, the Magi got that. That's why they've trekked hundreds of miles across the desert. That's why they've put their lives at risk uh, as pagans going into the court of the Israelite king. They've got that. They've got the fact that this baby is God come down to very generously give himself to die. And so for them, well, they'll do anything. They'll do anything. They'll give anything for the God who's given his life for them. Now, if you're a Christian here tonight, you know that. You know what God has done for you. And we have flow on it, us Christians, but in our hearts, we don't would do anything for him because he's been so generous to us. But if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, what do you make of Jesus Christ? What would you do if you had to meet him. See, when he grows up as a man, he's very clear with us. You, know, you may be on a spectrum in one sense, but essentially there's only two ways you can go. You either resent him as a rival or you worship him as God. But there is no middle ground. So what will you do? And if you oh, I don't know about that, I'm somewhere in the middle, there is a middle ground. No, you've just not looked. And I guess that's okay for a while, but why would you not? I take it lots of people don't look, don't investigate Jesus Christ because they don't want someone interfering with their life. But if he's so good, so kind, so generous in willing to die for you, why would you not want to know someone like that? So why not take a look? As I finish, let me just tell you this. Um, Every family has its different traditions, doesn't it, at Christmas? depends where you're from, whether you open your presents on Christmas Eve or whatever it may be. But uh, in our family, the tradition was you got a stocking, a few little things. It really was sort of orange and nuts in those days. Uh, Nothing quite so flash as uh, uh, our kids get now. But uh, we had a little stocking. You got one big present uh, just after breakfast, and that's what you got for the morning. Uh, But the rest you got after lunch. So it was always a tradition. You had lunch, washed up. Watch the Queen, then we got our presence. It's the one day of the year where my sister and I volunteered to wash up every year now i I don't know how old i was i was in my mid-teens perhaps my my sister's five years older she's early 20s probably late teens i remember there was one christmas and we got to opening a present she wanted to open her present first she'd been courting a young man for some time and i think she was probably expecting that christmas time might be a question involved and she was quite excited about opening her present what would it be so she opened her present it was a teddy bear she was clearly upset Slide so welled up a little bit. There's clear disappointment. Being a sensitive younger brother, I looked upon it and said, useless boyfriend, my turn. And got him uh, with opening whatever digital thing uh, I was excited about at the time. There's a little phone call afterwards. Uh, he rang. Did you, did you like my present? It was okay. Just okay? Well, do you think it was great? It's a teddy bear. <laughs> did you look closely at the teddy bear? No. (laughs) Have another look. Have a look on his arm. There's a little bag on his arm. Phone thrown over the floor. (laughs) Mm. Ah, a little ring. A little ring was there. And golly, what a calamity. How it almost went so wrong, because she didn't look properly. She assumed what it was and didn't realise that on Teddy's arm was something that would change her life forever now did getting married did my sister getting married did it limit her freedom yes did it constrain what she could do with her time yes did it impose limits on how she lived her life yes it did as all marriages do did she think it was great yes yes of course she did so I don't know where you stand with such things. What do you make of Jesus Christ? Ultimately, as I say, the Bible says you either reject him as a rival or you worship him as your king. But if you think, no, nah, n- I'm neither of those, can I encourage you to have a look, please? It matters so much. You spend so much time on other things. Take a closer look. It really could change your life and your eternity. Maybe lead us in a brief prayer. Father God, thank you that you came down that first Christmas as the baby Jesus Christ. The baby grew up to be a man who died so we might be forgiven. And Father, wherever we stand on such things, will we understand more of Jesus this Christmas? and so grow to the attitude of the Magi. Be delighted and thrilled to worship him as king. Amen.